Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Owl's Nest. As always, bringing you a bird's eye view of the Overwatch League. It is now uh, week three from working at home. We hope everybody out there is staying safe and healthy. And uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it because we have a lot to talk about today, uh, including takeaways from last weekend, how the Chinese teams and Seoul uh, ended up standing up to one another. Uh, we're also going to talk with uh, Jake Spackle uh, Connell from the Boston Uprising, an analyst that's going to be joining us in the middle to answer a few questions. And uh, finally, we're going to talk a little bit about what exactly happened to the San Francisco Shock last weekend, 2019 champions dropping both of their matches. Uh, but we'll get into that. The first thing we're going to cover here, of course, is the Chinese teams. Uh, last week, we went over what to expect from them. I think, uh, Jake, between you and I, uh, we kind of figured that Shanghai is probably looking the best out of the four of them. Uh, Chengdu probably in fourth place. And then uh, we were kind of split on whether Guangzhou or Hangzhou uh, was the second or third. Uh, and then this weekend, everyone left one in one. So uh, overall, uh, what are your takeaways? Uh, uh, you know, between these four teams, based on last weekend's results. Uh, well, I definitely have to be a little bit, um, a little bit warmer to the Chengdu Hunters. I think they've. I mean, like obviously, everyone going one one shows the field is is at least somewhat close. Um, but I think Chengdu probably outperformed my expectations more than any other Chinese team. Um, I think them beating Shanghai was like the biggest individual surprise of those matches. Um, but as you said, every team going one one. I mean, I think the only conclusion from from results like that is that we have to see more, right? Like these these teams are closely matched. They have been practicing against one another. Um, so, so like the final product of matches are are, are really anyone's game at this point. Now, was there any of these matches that particularly stood out to you? Because, I mean, you know, going into it after Shanghai uh, 3-0 Guangzhou, I was feeling pretty confident, you know, in our original assessment of the Dragons. But when they went up against Chengdu, they then got 3 and themselves. And I-, I thought it was interesting, too, that, you know, we saw... Throughout the weekend from all the teams, quite a bit of compositions. You know, there was a little bit of dive. Uh, there was some double shields. There was some full dive. There was mixing in a lot of those characters. And Shanghai, especially Fleta on the Tracer, I thought really performed against Guangzhou. But it looked like in their match against Chengdu that they shied a little bit away from going the full dive, which you had mentioned, uh, at least last season, playing against Chengdu's style, usually trying to sort of mirror match them and go dive to their dive is usually the best way to handle them. Yeah, I do wish we had seen more of that for Shanghai. I think you make a good point that that Fleta on the Tracer. Um, and right now, I mean, the meta is in such a place where you don't necessarily have to be playing a dive, like an all-in dive composition where your whole team wants to do that, um, to be fielding the Tracer. You know, as long as you have, like, at least a Brig or maybe a Zen, uh, these heroes can really support Tracer very effectively. So I want to see, especially against a team like Chengdu, the Tracer just gives you that utility to open up the map, clear out certain areas, you know, you know, okay, somebody there, somebody not there. There's there's no hero better than uh, a tracer, really, um, besides Sombra, which is banned, but, like, just to, <laughs> just to scout the map and to get, get space controlled um, so that you don't get surrounded, you don't get flanked by people you didn't expect to be there. Uh, and, and that's, it seems to me, is so critical to Chengdu's success is that they're getting that surround off and their dive is, is perfect. So if you just disrupt it a little bit, and you have a little bit more mobility, I want to say, and, and space control, I think it would be a lot harder for Chengdu to play. But I don't think it's going to be so simple. I mean, losing 3-0, if you can't ever put it down to, like, one hero swap, one hero pick. Um, so Chengdu really just proving that they're a stronger team than I had realized. 
and and also proving that their willingness to just commit to a style uh, really still has validity in the Overwatch League. So one of the other uh, uh, teams I kind of wanted to highlight a little bit here is obviously the Guangzhou Charge, you know, did very well, uh, uh, too. And the Spark, you know, both of their matches went all the way to the Game 5. And I'm wondering, you know, last week that you had you had given quite a bit of, uh, uh, you know, encouragement to uh, Happy and wanted to see his Widow play out through this weekend. Uh, we saw him absolutely pop off on the beginning of a map like Route 66, but then as he started going up against, like, the Double Shields, it seemed like it took him a little bit longer than it maybe should have to switch off of the Widow onto something like the Hanzo. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I mean, I think... You know, you want to make it work, especially a player like Happy playing Widow, but um, it's just a really terrible matchup for Widow, right? The double shield enables the, the other team to just leapfrog over and over and over again, and you really have a very small number of actual opportunities to hit headshots. Um, and it becomes a game of, like, you know, if you miss your like one or two shots that you're going to get, then you lose, um, which is a kind of a ridiculous burden to be putting a Widow on, and, and I think you're right means that you probably shouldn't be playing Widow because it's just too unrealistic. Um, but that being said, you know, it's, um, Widow's such a confidence game. You know, you need to have that faith in yourself that, no, I can, I can still do it. I can still hit those shots and sometimes play it in the circumstances that other players won't, um, just because you're feeling it like that. So, um, on the one hand, I'm, I'm not, um, I'm not disappointed to see Happy, you know, confident on the Widow, wanting to play it even in tougher scenarios. But, uh, I do think you make a good point that, you know, cycling the composition is, ever more important in the world of hero pools. All right, so then finally, obviously, like you said, we, we need a few more matches before we can really start to, you know, figure out where these teams fall in relation to one another. But, uh, you know, we'll get that, of course, going into this weekend. Um, so I want to give us a chance to maybe, you know, rearrange our, our sort of pecking order here uh, uh, for the Chinese teams. How, after seeing at least a little bit that you saw, you know, would you still place them relatively the same order that we had before, or do you want to maybe switch them up a little bit? Um, what do we have before? We had um, Shanghai. We had Shanghai at number one. Uh, you had Guangzhou, the Spark, then Chengdu, and I had uh, um, the Spark, then the Charge, and Chengdu in the back. Yeah, well, I mean, I, it's, technically, I think <laughs> I think my ratings are still sort of okay, mm-hmm. but... Um, um, it's so interesting after some of these some of these surprise wins, right? Chengdu coming out 3-0, not even it's not even close, and yet Shanghai destroys charge, right? Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't expect it. But yeah. um, uh, I, I actually think that I'm gonna uh, adapt yours a little bit more here. You know, seeing the difference between the spark and Guang, oh man, I don't, oh no, they're still so close. Yeah, uh, right, it's not, I mean, I, and I thought that match would hard. be close, I didn't think it would be dominant, I did favor GZ, but I don't feel like I'm, can say, oh, I was right, because I, you know, I never, I don't think I ever gave that a strong prediction. You know, I, I feel like I just want to drop everybody, like, to, to, like, second place, like, everyone's just tied right there at second, mm. until, until we get a little more out of them, because it, there's, there's not quite enough from any side to really... Oh yeah, I mean you can't, you can't argue that like there's a definitive ranking here just because these teams are, like they all came out one one out of a week, you know, and I think <laughs> that is actually rare. You know, it seems like the yeah. default, like oh that's an average result, like nothing surprising here, but that's actually quite surprising to see a, a field of four teams all all being able to take games off another, you know, all stylistically matching up in different ways. Um, I think I'm st- I still. 
I, I, I feel that the Shanghai loss to, to um, Chengdu, I feel that that's a bit of a fluke. Like, maybe not the loss, but the, I think the 3-0 is. I think that's like a bit of They, they definitely seem like they, like they weren't playing to the same level that they were against Guangzhou. Yeah, and I think it could be the fact that Chengdu wants to play this crazier style. But I think if Shanghai just matches up and just, just goes to that place that Chengdu loves to be, I think... I think Shanghai can easily be competitive with them there. And I think that's where charges that they're least comfortable when they're trying to, you know, challenge a team that, that wants to be that crazy, right? It feels that Chengdu's success really derives from, you know, playing this very fast style against teams that are trying to play slow. They really understand how to punish those slow players, um, take the map control and surround them, get the value out of that. But in that classic mirror match, you know, you can put a lot more emphasis on Fleta's Tracer um, and make that the most important thing in the match just by, you know, forcing that duel all the time, playing the Brig and the Tracer and, and really picking around that. Um, I feel that you can put a lot more pressure on Chengdu. So I still feel like the individual talent on Shanghai gives him the edge here. And then uh, finally, of course, uh, because I don't want to uh, get out of the segment without talking about them since we did talk about them a little bit last week, the Seoul Dynasty, uh, clean sweep over both the Los Angeles Gladiators and the Los Angeles Valiants, who were the two that defeated San Francisco as well. Uh, what did you think of Seoul's performance, and what do you think this this sort of uh, you know says about their future of being a playoff uh, caliber team? Well, I mean, I was worried. I was, I recall talking about Seoul in the past. I was worried about a couple pieces in their in their roster, but now I think you you can't really be worried anymore. I mean, um, I think Fitch showed up incredibly well. Um, you know, on that second DPS role to complement Fleta as well. Fleta looking in top form. You know, he's been a player who's had a lot of great performances, but not not always, not every single time. Um, you know, sometimes this team has struggled, but doesn't look like they're struggling now. And I, and I think. Their strategy has paid off really well, picking up really, really uh, star players from other teams, like you know the old, like some of the best, the three I would argue three of um, three of the best players on the old London Spitfire Championship roster. You know, Bedosin, Profit, and Gesture, uh, but you still have got Marvel on the side of Gesture, so that you know Gesture can keep his aggressive style, can play his um, play the way he wants to play, but then you still have Marvel to like bring in a totally different perspective to the main tank so i really think this team looks stronger every day especially now that um you can be a little bit more confident like fitz is performing to a really really high level um he was the only player that you could even have a question mark for this team so uh, they're starting to look really dangerous all right well we won't get to see any more of soul come this week just yet uh but of course you know we do need this weekend to see how the uh the chinese teams start to sort of hash it out a little bit if they go one if they all go one and one another weekend i'm not sure what that's going to look like but guys we'd love to know what you think let us know in social media uh do you favor shanghai over any of them or do you think that maybe chengdu has proved themselves and deserve to be ranked a little bit higher among the four of them let us know at checkpoint xp on facebook and twitter you can also find jake at jake ow on twitter and myself at Robbie underscore Landis CP. We'll be right back. Let's go, boys! We have our Apex champions. I think we clutched.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Owl's Nest. Now, the first thing that you're probably noticing is that we're missing Jake. But don't worry, because we have Jake here joining us uh, from the Boston Uprising, one of their analysts, uh, Jake Spackle Connell. Jake, welcome to the Owl's Nest. Uh, we're really glad that you were able to give us some of your time today. Uh, now, the reason that uh, our Jake isn't with us right now is we did have some scheduling uh, snafus to work around today. So this interview was actually recorded a little bit later than uh, what the rest of the segments are. But don't worry. We'll get back uh, with Jake there in segment three and talking about how San Francisco 2019 champions went 0-2 against both the Los Angeles teams last weekend. But, of course, starting, like I said, we have uh, uh, a new Jake here with us. So the first thing I'd like to do, Jake, is uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what your job from week to week as an analyst looks like. You know, what, what do you actually do for the team? Because I feel like an analyst... Uh, especially to the the you know average viewer is a pretty broad term. So, what does your day to day contributions for the team look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think every single team their analyst has kind of has a different role, and it's never really the same. But at least for our team personally, uh, I, I do a lot of scouting and working with the coaches. I think a lot of people think that all analysts usually work with stats and stuff, but I typically don't do as much of that. There's sometimes where I do, but um, it's not too frequent. Um, I do a lot of like tech stuff because I have a background in uh, cybersecurity. I was in college for that before I had this job. So I do a lot of like advising with management for, uh, you know, tech setups and issues. And then also sometimes working with players and stuff like that. So a bit of a mix of everything. So uh, do you end up working more with the coaches and the support staff or, you know, you mentioned working a little bit with the players. Is that like a one-on-one type stuff? Because I feel like, you know, when most people think of an analyst, it's, it, you're right. We probably think of, you know, working with stats or, you know, sitting down and just, re- re- you know, reviewing footage after footage, you know, uh, for hours on end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, it's mostly with the coaches. There's definitely times where I have to work like directly with players. But uh, a lot of it's definitely with coaches, you know, helping them prepare for their own feedbacking for players and then reviews, things like that. Now, uh, I'm wondering if there's been any big changes in the way that you help prepare for matches since the introduction of, uh, you know, hero pools in bands. You know, prior to this, you know, a lot of what we used to hear or see teams is, you know, they would prepare for specific teams and, you know, know what comps, uh, you know, they might be playing against and what they'd want to go up against. But obviously with hero pools, that kind of like puts it all up in the air. You know, do you still prepare for what you think you might face against teams? Or is it more, you know, looking at what your comfort picks are and finding the compositions that are going to work best for you as a team? Well, First of all, I think that, yeah, our preparation has changed a lot with the introduction of Hero Pools because, you know, like last year is a really long stagnant meta. So you're kind of just slowly working up and kind of just improving on the same thing. But now it's like a week to week basis. You're (laughs) constantly like switching. And so Sunday comes around, you figure out the bands and then you're just theory crafting all night type of thing and trying to figure out what's best. But uh I think it's also a lot of, you know, working with what's a comfort pick for your own team because you can play the meta, but you can also, you know, do slight variations. And I, I think you really need to have a team with a very large hero pool to be able to play all the different metas that are going to come out with all the hero bands. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, like, really fast prep work with it. Yeah, so I, I think there's definitely prepping for other teams as well. Um but most teams are typically running the same thing, to be honest. Like after the first day, um, there's usually one team that ha- 
has the meta figured out, I guess, and or maybe a couple teams, and then every team they scrim will keep running the same thing. So I think it's a lot of people running the same comps. So from your perspective, what have been some of the biggest challenging for the Boston Uprising so far this year? I think we've had a lot of small challenges. I'm not exactly sure what would be the biggest or what would I, I would call the biggest, but I think uh, if I had to choose one, it would probably be our roster changing so much. I think when we built our roster in trials, it was very different than it was now. You know, like we lost Munchkin, Axiom, and I think the, the, both those players had a lot of value and Axiom obviously might come back at some point, but I, I think it's definitely something that we got to work with and changes our flexibility with our hero pools. Um, so I, I think that's been a big challenge for us. Yeah. So one of the things that people were sort of uh, uh, you know theorizing might happen with the teams being separated into the divisions was that we might start to notice some individual trends in meta from division to division uh, start to play out. Uh, have you noticed anything like that in scrims or in pro play on a region-by-region region basis? Um, it's actually interesting because I, I definitely thought that that would happen, but it's kind of hard to see because Asian teams haven't really scrim or played matches at all until recently. But uh, even like the, the Shanghai Guangzhou match, they were playing comps that were completely different from what anybody on NA was playing. Like I think they were playing Arisa Sigma, Hanzo Mei, Bab Zen, and you weren't seeing that at all in scrims on NA. And uh, I guess that's the only real region that would be different because uh, you know EU teams are on NA and everybody on NA is scrimming together. So we're all just playing the same stuff and there's not much variation at all, unless it's like hero flexibility. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of their, the Asia matches because I definitely think there will be a lot of differences between the two. All right, well then finally what I'd like to do is also get your initial thoughts on Echo so far. I know she's only in PTR and she might go through a few more changes before she hits live, but what are some of your initial impressions? So when I first saw her, I had basically two impressions. It was <laughs> she's busted as hell and uh, she's going to make the game better in a way because... <laughs> Her, her kit is just absolutely insane. Like, she has insane movement, which I I think it's been nerfed a little on PTR, but I'm not sure how much more it'll get nerfed. Um, I think when she releases for Al, she's going to be very heavily played. Um, but I also think it's interesting because you look at her kit and it's just the movement, and the she just has so much in it. But then you look at a hero like McCree that's been around since the beginning of the game, and he has like a roll and a flashbang. Like, there's really not much there. <laughs> So it makes me wonder in a way if they're going to ever rework heroes like that to make them more in line with heroes like Echo. But I, I don't know. I'm excited about it because I think it'll change the game a bit. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I think she can go live the way she currently is or the way I last saw her. But I don't know. She's crazy. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jake. We appreciate you taking the time uh, to give us some, uh, uh, you know, your thoughts and opinions here on the Owl's Nest. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, good luck to you and the Boston Uprising. Up next, we'll take a look at the matches coming up this weekend, uh, including our match of the week, and talk about how and why the San Francisco Shock dropped two matches. Coming up next. <music> Thank you. 
Well, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for watching us. If you happen to be catching us on YouTube, and if you uh, would like to maybe find us on the go somewhere, you can also download the Owl's Nest via podcast from Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever it is that you find your podcast. And if you already do that, you should leave us a re- review. I'll let you know, uh, let us know what you think, and uh, maybe we'll read a few of them on the show here in the future. So uh, the first thing we're going to start with, as always, is our matches of the week. For the matches of the week, it's all about revenge, guys. It's all about uh, getting that payback, and this week we're looking at two matches in particular that uh, were particularly good last weekend as well. That is, of course, the Los Angeles Valiant versus the San Francisco Shock up in a rematch. Valiant took the Shock 3-1, to one, and the Hangzhou Spark, which uh, I believe that went to... Uh the charge beat the spark uh, three to two in a game five. Uh, so as good as they were last week, hopefully they're just as good this week, and uh, we'll find out if that uh, valiant versus the shock was uh, just a fluke or not. And uh, that's actually where I'd like to start here, as opposed to sort of going into these matches and what we expect. I want to take a look back at last weekend, 2019 champions, the San Francisco Shock lost 0-2 this weekend against both the Gladiators and the Valiant in a 3-1 matchup for both of them. Uh, Jake, I got to get your thoughts on this. What do you think happened here? Well, I mean, Shock did tweet out something, I believe, about um, submitting incorrect roster for the first map on one of their games. I think they were cryptic. They don't think they Hmm. revealed which game it was. Um, but um, I don't know. I don't think you can say that has too much of an overall effect, right? Even if you completely throw the first map, it doesn't mean um, doesn't mean it's you know unwinnable. But I feel like this is just the Glads playing really, really well, performing I think to the potential of that roster, um, and at the same time, Shock uh, not looking as clean. Uh, but I think I think this is also the impact of Hero Pools being felt. Like Shock ha- had to adapt this week, and I just feel that uh, you know their, their, their opponents were better prepared. Their opponents had a better understanding of how to play within the team comp that was up this week. Um, that being said, I think when you take out Brigida, I think that is a huge boon to the SF Shock. I think that character is a major equalizer and is a very, very unique playstyle that or forces a unique playstyle from the rest of your team. Um, whereas the Lucio is, I think, Shock's bread and butter. I think they want to play comps around Lucio, um, mm. utilize that speed and, and, and their team's aggression to really make plays. I feel like a lot of times, you know, playing against the double shield, they just couldn't quite close those distances, couldn't quite get across the threshold, you know, push through the shields. Uh, so often they were forced to actually break the shields, which uh, is not what you want to be doing against the double shield comp. So yeah, I, I think there were two things in particular that that I noticed or, or taken or took away from the uh, the Gladiators match. Then uh, uh, sort of overall, the first was uh, Sinatra wasn't in for the first two maps, and whether or not that was a, a you know a roster submission mix up or not, when they finally did bring him in, uh, I felt like there was a marked difference in because it was on uh, Volskaya that they ended up drawing. And then of course they won the map uh, uh, before that. But, I mean, is it just me, or did you see a big difference in the way that they performed against the Gladiators with Sinatra in and with him out? Well, he definitely gave them a bit of a boost, but right, it wasn't enough down the stretch. I think um, you can certainly imagine that he has a high impact on the team just because not only is he a really strong player, but also known to um, make a lot of calls for his team be a leader figure for them. So um, I can't help but think that, that that always has a high impact to sub in and out a player like that. Um, but it, good for him that he's able to start on the bench, come off, and still have a great performance. Um, I think maybe in the future they'll probably think twice about having him on the bench at all. 
And then the other thing that you had just mentioned as well was that, that maybe the shock was just a little bit slower to adapt because of the changes to hero pools. And, you know, being the 2019 champions and especially going as long as they did, uh, uh, you know, they had the golden stage. Uh, and even after dropping uh, the match, the Atlanta rain in the playoffs, you know, they turned around and basically just charged through there without dropping a single map. I think that we look at the Shock and expect them to come in having such a dominant performance. But last year in 2018, when the uh, 2 2 roll lock came through and we had to make that switch from GOATs into the new meta, the Shock were also actually a little bit slow to adapt as well. Uh, in fact, if I remember correctly, uh, the uh, Houston Outlaws, uh, along with you, were the first one to beat them going into Stage 4 as people were trying to adjust to those changes. Yeah, yeah, I think that was um, I think that was the beginning of stage three when, when we were able to get a win on them. But I mean, I think if you look at the shock, you, they've never been immortal, untouchable, right? They've never been. I mean, even with some really great runs, uh, this is not a team that that can't be beat, especially with the level of competition in the Overwatch League right now. Like so many other teams have leveled up significantly since last season, uh, but it's not that. They're untouchable, but it's their resilience, I think, that makes them a team that you expect to see in the championship series. You know, like, that that even if they do take losses throughout the season, even if they do take a playoff loss, you can't count them out. I, I still think this is one of the best teams in the Overwatch League, if not still the best team in the league. Um, I will, I mean, obviously, this is what we've seen last week is that the field is, is even closer than I expected. Um, but I still have faith in the Shock, and I think especially when they get their Lucio back, I think that'll be a really big deal. Not because Moth doesn't have the flexibility to play the other heroes, but I just think stylistically, the Shock really want to be playing on a Lucio. I think it uh, that's the playstyle that really enables them playing around those beats because you know, you've got those dominant DPS players who are really effective at trading positively. Um, that makes not as much of a difference when you're playing against armor because you, you often, oftentimes it doesn't matter if you trade positively. You just... In terms of HP, you're still not really making a dent in the Briggs position. Whereas with Lucio, you know, something like forcing a sound barrier, forcing the amp, um, you know, those little positive trades from your DPS make a really, really big difference. Um, but of course, you can't, I mean, Shock have great DPS players, but now it seems like um, more and more teams have players on that same caliber. Um, so the question for Shock is can they make their large roster a strength again and not a weakness for Hero Pools? I mean, you would think. For hero pools, for you know this rapidly changing meta, that having such a big DPS roster in particular would would be a boon for the shock. Um, but so far, it's been a bit of a stumbling block. Well, they'll get their chance to try and bounce back this weekend as they'll be going uh, back up against both the Los Angeles Valiant and the Los Angeles Gladiators. Uh, and speaking of hero bands, this week, uh, thanks to uh, Zoe's cat Nori, uh, May finally banned out. Thank you, Nori, uh, along with McCree, Brigitte, and Wrecking Ball. So with these bands in mind, do you think that we're going to have a different outcome with San Francisco versus these Los Angeles teams? And you know, also keep in mind, too, that I feel like San Francisco after they suffer losses like this, tend to bounce back a lot stronger. Uh, what do you anticipate these two matches playing out like? Um, well, I certainly expect them to still be close. I don't think it's going to be... Um, I think I think it'll be even closer than last week, I'll say, in terms of Shock versus Glad. Um, but I actually would still think Shock's going to take this, just the same way I predicted it last time, even though I was wrong then. Um, I, think they, I think they can do it, because I think... That getting rid of that Lucio ban really for me is what is what is, is something that I think was really going to help the Shock more than most teams. I think their team, like especially shown from their proficiency in goats, they really understand how to play as a unit, to play as a core and a team, 
and you know Lucio's a hero that makes you want to play that style. Um, cutting May, cutting McCree. I don't think these matter too much to the shock. You know, I don't. I think they're about equivalent in terms of their ability to use these heroes effectively. Um, if anything, this could allow though Mirror to to be a really huge factor on the Doomfist. But um, if Doomfist is a key factor this week, as I expect he might be, um, given that some pretty significant counters are, are banned out right now, um, then uh, Sinatra, of course, is more than proficient. So uh, <laughs> I think they could easily take the mirror match, you know, Striker and Sinatra and the, on the Doom Tracer or, or something to that effect. Um, that seems like a really, really dangerous composition. So strategically from the shock, I honestly just want to see them be mirroring a lot of these teams as much as they can. Um, playing the same compositions or, or something quite similar because I think um, they really should be a team that can rely on their individual skill to you know come out on top of those close matchups. All right. Well, guys, uh, that's all the time that we have for today. Jake, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Appreciate having you here. Uh, once again, guys, remember you can connect with us on social media. Let us know who you're rooting for this weekend. Uh, make sure that you check us out. Uh, Checkpoint XP, that's on Twitter and Facebook, and Jake OW on Twitter, and Jake underscore OW on Twitch. Guys, we'll see you next time, and remember to always stay on that payload. <laughs>